0: Good morning, what a song, man, Jesus the King welcomes us, man, how many kings would welcome someone like me, someone like us, Um, and that wasn't a free welcome, he paid the price to welcome us, Um, and now we're free to welcome one another, so thank you for being here, welcome to Grace Life Church, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Matt Carr, and uh, if you want to connect with us in any way, you can scan this QR code here up on the screen. Um, through this code, you can find the, the scripture verse we'll be using today. You can um, find any community groups, any ways to connect. Um, you can also give through our church app, um, Tithes and Offerings, if you wish to contribute to God's mission in that way. Um, but man, I just want to say Merry Christmas to everybody. I'm excited for this week to celebrate um, that king who, who gave his life for us, the father who sent his son for us, um, man, what a glorious, glorious truth. Um, so I want to read our Grace Life Welcome. We read this each and every week. Um, if God welcomes us, then surely we can welcome one another. So I just want to read this to you guys this morning. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors in the name of Jesus Christ and offers a welcome. So Tommy will be preaching to us this morning out of Romans 5. We're continuing our series in Romans So I'm going to read the passage for us. If you want to turn there in your Bible or scroll there on your device, we'll be in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And the word of God says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. 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 I heard a few of you groan when... When Matt walked down there, you wanted him to preach again, didn't you? Yeah, I know. That was a great message last week, and I appreciate Matt. He's our new pastor of discipleship and launching a student ministry uh, through his efforts this year, or actually next year, and uh, be in prayer for that. Really excited about that. And um, My name's Tommy. I'm the lead pastor here. And before I jump into this text, I just want to do a, a couple of quick updates. Update number one, you have been praying this year, and we have gone through a process of nomination. We Our church is growing, and we have moved from a board of directors, which we launched this church with in 2015, to a more New Testament model of leadership when we had qualified leaders, and we do, thank God. Uh, so we are being governed by a, a board of elders now, which is a New Testament model, and all of those elders meet the qualifications. We have three currently, myself, Steve Ekman, um, and... Cliff Patterson, and we're going to add two more elders, Bill Roth and Mike Priest, and we're going to be ordaining them next year uh, at a service at the beginning of 2022, probably January the 9th, but I wanted to give you an update on that. Uh, It's official. They're elders. We have just not laid hands on them and made that public yet, so thank you for your prayers. Thank you for participating in that process. We had a nomination committee who reviewed their nominations. All of you were able um, and, and willing to, to put forth names of men that you believe met the qualifications and would serve well. And we had so many that we went through, and I'm thankful for that. Um, I had another update. I was going to, yeah, praise God. All right. Woo! Uh, another update. Steve Ekman is back. He went down to uh, Mayfield, Kine- uh, Kentucky, where the, really was the epicenter where those storms hit. And uh, Ken, I appreciate you and Samaritan's Ministries uh, after the storm just swarming in those areas that were just devastated. I think upwards of 90 people lost their life in that tornado, and it swathed through about 230 miles, which may be a new record. They never even, not that you want it to be, but a tornado has never done that before. Typically, they touch down and they're out. This went through four state lines and just wreaked unfathomable damage, seeing some of the photos you guys sent. I'm thankful we have some people here that represented the Lord, represented our church, and they were there for a week serving, ministering to people, preaching the gospel, rebuilding, picking up, cleaning up, and we're thankful that they're back and we're looking forward to hearing the stories from that and continue to pray for the people that are just left devastated, which opened a window for the hope of Christ to be shared. So, I'll tell you what, let's pray and we're going to jump into this passage and I'll show you. Why Romans 5 is indeed a Christmas passage, because I can see the doubt on your faces, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your grace that carries us and sustains us. Thank you for the beauty and the truth and all these songs that we have been singing today, Lord. um, I pray that you would open our hearts to receive the power and the truth and the beauty of King Jesus who came into this world to not only undo and reverse what Adam did, but to destroy it forever and usher in a new kingdom that's characterized by grace and peace and hope and life and righteousness and forgiveness, Lord. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, the arrival of the one who would usher in all of those things, Lord. May we receive him. May we prepare room in our hearts to receive this king. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That means our battery's dead on the timer, which could be bad for everybody. (laughs) Maybe not. Let me see what I can do here with this. No, it's fixed. All right, we're good. So uh, today, Romans 5, 12 through 21, but I'm going to focus especially on verses 12 through 19, and then we'll come back another time and deal with that part about the law because it's too long. It's, It's too heavy of a topic to try and tack on the end of a message. So Merry Christmas. Today, uh, today will be in what may seem like a strange passage for Christmas, um, but I hope and pray that this resonates with you. If you ask me to prove that this is a Christmas passage, I would take you to this text, Romans chapter 5, verse 14, the very end there, where he says this. He says, Adam was a type or was a pattern of the one who was to come. Christmas, the one who was to come. That is what Advent really means. That word Advent that you see all over the place, hospitals, medical centers, Christmas cards, it just means this, the arrival of somebody noteworthy. Christmas, we're celebrating his arrival. He's he's come to us. He's arrived. He's here. And if you say, ah, that's kind of a stretch, then I would show you Romans 5, 12 through 21, the words free gift is mentioned five times. So is that enough? Is that compelling enough? The one who would come and he brings a free gift, a free gift. And just three verses, five times he says that. So someone is coming and he's bringing with him free gifts. I'm not talking about Santa Claus, I'm talking about Jesus Christ. So what good gifts, what free gifts is he bringing? That's going to be our outline today. We're going to see three. The title of this message is A Tale of Two Kings, okay? And we're going to see this second king, Jesus Christ, he brings us three gifts And here they are. Number one, a better kingdom. Number two, a better king. And number three, an invitation to participate. So I wanna give you a warning, okay? These three points that we're gonna go through, there's good news at the end of them, but in the very beginning, we're gonna have to wade through some heavy and dark stuff. Because listen, this entire letter that Paul wrote to the Romans thousands of years ago, he tells us the whole thing is about good news. It's about the gospel. That word in Greek just simply means good news. The good news about the rescue that Jesus Christ came to bring in. He came to rescue and restore all of his fallen creation beginning with us, right? That's good news, but there's bad news you have to wade through to get to the bad news. You've got to look at it. You've got to understand it. You've got to let it settle in your hearts and minds so you're good and ready for hope. This reminds me of when Sarah and I lived in California, and I went there for four and a half years for seminary, and we were surrounded by families with young kids just like us, One day i was working on a paper minding my own business and this loud thud came on the door knock 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 and i opened the door and looked down and there's this little girl there and her face is red and flushed she's upset and she gives this rehearsed speech she says my mommy downstairs is hurt very badly and she needs an adult and i did what any man would do i sent my wife downstairs (laughs) i said honey you better go see about that and so sarah went downstairs and she said she walked into this scenario of a woman shaking her head holding this bloody rug or bloody rag bloody rag over her hand and she said I can't look Sarah I can't look she said but it's bad and Sarah said we've got to look we've got to see how bad this is to see what we need to do and Sarah said the blood was everywhere so she said the woman said I can't I can't and she said we'll look we'll look together and so she unwrapped that bloody rag and I actually have a picture No, I don't I don't have a picture I'm not going to show you that picture Her finger had been severed. It had been cut off on the tip. And so Sarah knew this is bad. We got to go to the ER. I'm going to take you right now. She drove over to the emergency room. So this, in a way, Romans 5 is like that little girl banging on the door and saying, there's bad news here. There's bad news and we got to go look. We got to go look at it together or we're never going to be prepped and conditioned for the good news. So that's what we're going to do together, okay? Point number one, a better kingdom. We live, here's the bad news, and I don't think you need a, a, you don't need a, crazy preacher to tell you this we live in a broken kingdom we exist in a fallen kingdom i could say everyone's born into a fallen kingdom but that wouldn't necessarily be true because some people are never born at all into this fallen kingdom they experience it inside their mother's womb because there's 40 to 50 million abortions that take place every year why is that this passage will tell you why that tells you why in fact this passage explains a lot this passage gives us the backstory to this creation. If you were an alien, some of us I wonder, right, <laughs> if you were to just parachute into this universe and look around and say, oh my goodness, what happened? What in the world is going on here? There's wars, there's conflict, there's drama, there's death, there's deceit, there's nuclear weapons, there's sh- people are getting shot up to pieces, people are killing babies inside the womb, people can't get along. People are judging others by the color of their skin or what side of the tracks they're born on. What happened? And a human could say, Romans 5, second half, read it, 12 to 19. That'll that'll fill you in. This This is actually like, any Chronicle of Narnia fans in here? All right, a few, great. I love it. It's one of my favorite stories. I love reading that to my kids. You know, most people, there's seven books in that series. You know, most people, they cheat. They start with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is book number... Three? It's number two, right? (laughs) You were close. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's a real backstory. But the first book in that series is actually called The Magician's Nephew. Check it out. Do you know why? Because you will never understand how Narnia came into existence, why it's always winter and never Christmas, and why this white witch is going around looking for a son of Adam and a daughter of Eve. You're never going to understand that. You pick up hints of it. But you got to go back. You got to get the backstory. And the magician's nephew will give you that. And Romans 5 gives you that too. The Apostle Paul is a theologian. And he's the best kind of theologian. He's a historical theologian. And he's inspired. And he's taking you and I back into the Garden of Eden. And he's showing us hey, look, this is the backstory. This is what knocked the world all out of balance. This is why what we see all around us has come into play death reigned. Who brought death into the world? Wouldn't you like to get your hands around their neck? Who did that? Because listen, Jesus created a perfect world, and he pronounced it good, 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 and then he made us. We're the crown jewel, man. We're the pinnacle of creation, and he said, very good. Everything's very good. Everything's as it should be in the world. There's harmony. There's peace. There's love. There's hope. There's joy. People to people, people to God, People to animals, people to the planet, everything's in harmony. And then out of nowhere, death enters. Who let death in? God did not put death in his creation. He did not. You know, I hear people all the time, and I understand people say, how could God let this happen? And usually what they mean is something horrible that's a threat to their livelihood, a terrible sickness, a disease, cancer. Why did this happen? Who did this? How could a good God do this? And the answer is, he didn't. He didn't do that. Who did? This is the backstory here, Romans 5. What does it say, verse 12? Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death spread to all men because all sin. I don't read anything in there about God doing that. We did that. God knew we would, and in some strange way that we're going to get to in Romans 8, 9, and 10, and 11, you could say God ordained that and decreed that to be. Not now. Don't let that blow your mind yet. We'll get to that. That's the heart of Reformed theology. But Adam brought death and sin into the world. He invited it. It's this dark, evil, controlling, pervasive, infectious thing That was never a part of God's good creation. But what Adam did in representing all of us, he chose good and evil on his terms, not God's. He chose wisdom on his terms, not God's. And what he did was he opened a door into paradise and he let sin and death in and hate and violence and evil and it spread everywhere. That's the backstory, my friends. You're not going to hear that on any news channel you listen to uh, or maybe not on a Hallmark Christmas movie, okay? But Adam gives us the backstory here. That's what happened. That's the scoop. That's the skinny. And when you read that, it's, it's interesting, man, the way that he sums this up. Look at it again in verse 12. Sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. And then listen, it's, I love the logic of Paul. He knows we're going to have a hard time with that. All sin. I wasn't there. I didn't create Adam. I didn't elect him as my representative. Adam doesn't represent me, not my king, not my president, right? And God says, hang on a minute. I appointed him, and he was your perfect representative. Adam did what each and every one of us would have done had we been there. Will not the judge of all the earth do what's right? Yes, he will. You were represented well in the garden, meaning this. (laughs) Uh, That's the best we could get was Adam. He was perfect in every way, and he fell. And when he fell, in some strange way, we fell with him. His action, we stood with him in front of that tree in some strange and mysterious way, we were united. The word one is used 12 times in this passage, and it means we're united. We were united with Adam. His action impacted us, right? We don't like that, we don't, but we can't deny the evidence of it. Paul knows he's inspired. He's inspired He knows we're going to have a hard time with that, so it's almost as if he hits the pause button after verse 12, and for three or four verses, he's thinking, you know, the people at Rome, they might not be straight on that. I better explain that. I better explain that to them, so he proves it. He says, look, you're going to see evidence of this, that you were represented, and that what Adam did, you were a part of, you see it everywhere, even in places where there's no law. That's what he says. Look at verse 14 here. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. He's saying, look, I know where there's no law, you're not responsible. You didn't know, right? But even in places and in times where there was no law, people still face the penalty for breaking law, which is what? Death. He says, verse 14, Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of one who was to come. What's he saying? He's saying there were people who sinned, not like Adam who did it consciously, willingly. He knew what he was doing. He made a choice. There are people uh, who sin not like that, children. And why are babies who are never born and never make a conscious decision in their life, why are they a part of the penalty for sin? Like abortion. Think of abortions. Why is that? Paul is proving original sin. Have you ever heard that that word. Original sin is not a sin that's unique. Oh, that's original. Never seen that one before. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what that doctrine means. That's not what theologians mean. Original sin is talking about the effect and the impact that Adam's action had on all of us. That's what original sin means. And he says death reigned and it spread everywhere. I mean you can see this in Genesis 5. This is just three or four chapters after creation and what do you read there? and he died, and he died, and he died, and he, what happened? You go back a few chapters, and you see what happened. This event ushered all of that in, and it spread everywhere. There, there's, a, there's a show on Netflix that Sarah and I watched recently. It's so riveting. Uh, it is about November 8, 2018, a very small fire in California, in the Sierra Nevada, uh, California area, a very small ground fire caused by an electric cable that fell, Turned into the deadliest and the biggest wildfire in all of California's history. Uh, and here's why because the conditions were perfect that morning for this fire to spread. In fact, there's a Google image that was captured. It started at, at a place dozens and dozens and dozens of miles uh, from a city called Paradise. And there were, there were gale force winds up to 72 miles an hour. It was an unseasonably dry time, no rain, it was a drought. Um, so, 72 mile an hour winds, this drought and this little campfire started, or excuse me, a campfire road, this little ground fire started, and there was a place called Paradise, dozens of miles away, and it was surrounded by these ponderosa pine trees, and in no time flat, that fire spread all the way to Paradise, and it trapped all the people that were living there, and hardly any of them could get out. It's, there were only 26,000 people there. But 85 people died, 95% of the buildings in that little town were destroyed, 90% of the homes were destroyed, it was just left empty, and and it just looked, it's terrible. Uh, What struck us, what struck us whenever we watched that documentary was actually uh, a few things. Number one, how quickly the fire spread, and number two, how deadly and all-consuming that it was. Here's a few quotes from that documentary from firefighters and from citizens. They said there was nowhere else to go, mass destruction everywhere. One firefighter said, extremely rapid fire spread, resistant to control, I don't know if we're going to get out. Doesn't that sound spiritually like what happened? That one event way back in history that happened right there in paradise, uh, it took four hours for that town to be destroyed after that fire started. They said the fire was going faster than uh, 100 yards per second. That's a football field. One second, the fire spread. Embers shot up into the air and would jump over valleys and hit the next town. They couldn't stop it. It spread everywhere, and it brought with it death and destruction and consumption. And that's exactly what happened when you read Genesis. And Paul is telling us here, death spread everywhere. This is a terrible kingdom that we're a part of. We see it all around us. Sometimes you can see it visually in a way that's so stunning. Recently, I went with my... uh, my father-in-law and my brother-in-law, we were deer hunting, and uh, we went to Andersonville, Georgia. It's like five and a half, six hours away. And I didn't know this, but that was, uh, that was Fort Sumter, is that what it's called? Fort Sumter in the Civil War, that was, that was one of the, it was the biggest prison camp for, for Union soldiers. There were up to 45,000 prisoners there at one time. Can you imagine that? 45,000 people from one side of the war are held prisoner here, right? And conditions were so terrible, it was a winter, there was not enough food to go around, disease was spreading, so over 13,000 of those prisoners died. And the tombstones, when you drive onto the property, it's staggering, it's overwhelming. You have these white tombstones that just have numbers, and they go up to 13,000, they're everywhere. And I just thought when we were there, this is so interesting, I'm always thinking of, you know, sermons and illustrations because I'm a desperate man. And I was thinking, here you have three different things going on at once here or two at the very least, you have, you have this, uh, this war, war was here, two people uh, that were part of these United States of America, just think about that, somebody was asked to raise up an army to invade their own country, isn't that crazy, civil, why does civil war even happen? Genesis 3, Romans 5 tells you why, but not only that, you have all, so you have war, conflict, and then you also have this, this visible reminder of death. 13,000 tombstones, man. It's just an ocean of death everywhere. And it just reminded me of this passage. But look, let's be honest, man. You don't, you don't just have to look around you to see this. The tornadoes that took 90 lives last week or heart disease I read is one of the number one killers. Up to 18 million people, every, people every year die from strokes and, and heart failure. Um, you don't have to just look around. You can just look within and see this fallen, broken kingdom that we're a part of. Now, this is where I meddle a little bit and I get, get in your kitchen because I want this to resonate with you. It's easy to go to a seminary and say, yep, Romans 5, but let's look within. Why are we so insecure? People are like, I'm not insecure. Okay. <laughs> I am sometimes. I've told you what If somebody gives you a text, sends you a text and it says, we need to talk right away. Are you like, man, that's awesome. Let's have lunch, man. I, we, next week, if we have time to work it in, are you like me? I want to meet right now. If something's wrong. I'm not okay. I got to know what it is. It bothers me. I lose sleep over it. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, you got an insecure pastor. I'm working on it. The gospel's going down into those places where, where I need good news to hit me. But I get radically insecure sometimes. Why do we second-guess things? Why do we talk too much? Why do we have to be the most important person in the room when we walk in there? Or why are we so scared that we can't show our face in a room? All of those are evidence that we are part of a broken kingdom. We have a fallen nature. It's not supposed to be this way. It's not supposed to be this way. St. Augustine wrote a book called The Confessions of St. Augustine. And uh, one of the most powerful parts of that book is where he talks about he and some buddies one night. It's funny, man. You read this. Happened, you know, thousands of years ago, and it's like... a playbook taken right out of a youth group, you know. He and some buddies were coming home and they wanted to do some vandalism. And so they went into a, like a peach orchard and picked a whole bunch of peaches. And Augustine was haunted by that. He knew that was wrong. That wasn't his peach orchard. Those peaches were food for somebody that needed them. It didn't belong to him. But what he wrote that haunted him the most was that he didn't even like, or excuse me, it was pears, not peaches. He didn't even like pears. He didn't even want to eat the pears. It was just simply the delight in doing something evil that was forbidden, right? That's what vandalism is if you think about it. Why do people write graffiti on property that's not their own? Why do people want to destroy things that don't belong to them? What do they get out of that? Sheer delight and joy in doing evil. The book of Proverbs says to do evil is like sport to a fool. It's like a sports, man. It's a hobby. I want to do evil. Why is that? Because we live in a broken kingdom. We live in a Fallen Kingdom. Why are we so unhappy? Why are we so enslaved to our passions? Why do we make decisions that we know are wrong and are not good for us and are gonna hurt other people and we make them anyway? Why do we do that? Because we are part of a fallen broken kingdom. We were born into it. Listen, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's part of our nature. I know that there's psychologists and sociologists that will contest that. Like Roger, Rogerian theory says man and women are basically good. We're born free and we're shackled and changed by our environment. But you got to ask yourself, who made this environment? (laughs) Talking about the people and the social structures and the hierarchies that constitute this environment. Who's responsible for that? We are. So if we're born free, you would think that somebody would escape this corruption. Go and find that person for me, please. Are they here? Did any of you escape corruption? Because you need to be up here. I don't, right? No, Paul's already given us this devastating look at humanity, right? There are none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's an archery term. Hermartia, we missed the mark. We failed. In fact, it's interesting, man. This passage, there are 19 different different, uh, places where he uses a word for sin here. The word sin is used nine times. The word transgression is used. The word trespass is used. We know what that means. We don't need an English lexicon to figure that out or Greek lexicon, do we? Trespass, what's that mean? You you crossed somewhere that you were unwelcome. You weren't supposed to go. That's what Adam did. He trespassed. He transgressed God's law. He stood in front of a tree that God told him, do not eat that forbidden fruit. And he ushered in this kingdom of darkness, sin, evil, corruption, guilt, shame, and fear that all of us are a part of. We can see it around us, we can see it among us, and we can see it inside of us if we're honest. All of us. There's evidence there. Why do we struggle to tell the truth? Why do we cheat on our taxes? (laughs) Why do we get hacks and scandals and scams? And it's because of this original sin. There was a question we were talking about in our staff the other day. John Wesley, he started these little holy clubs that was part of the revival that swept the colonies in America in the 1700s. He would create these little groups and he would give them 22 questions to ask. And here was his first question that struck me. And Matt and I were talking about it in the office. He says, am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I am better than I really am? That's a hard yes for me hard yes. And it's not unconsciously. It's consciously. I want people to think that I'm better than I actually am. I'm a better dad. I'm a better husband. I'm a better pastor. I'm a better person. I want you to think that about me. I'm just being honest. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're there, and maybe we do it unconsciously because it's so part of our nature. It's so part of this kingdom that we're a part of. Man, we are messed up, aren't we? Merry Christmas. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the bloody rag you got to look at that your hand is wrapped up in. you got to unwrap it and say, oh, goodness, I had no idea it was this bad. It's actually worse than we could ever fathom. But Paul's putting it into a language we can understand. He's putting it on the bottom shelf for us. Don't you long to be delivered from this kingdom? Don't you want out of this? Don't you want this to end and somebody to bring something better I got good news for you this morning my friends, somebody did, somebody did. He offers us a better kingdom, one that's peace and righteousness and joy and eternal life. See, Adam brought condemnation and sin and guilt and death and Christ brought something altogether different. He brought life and hope and forgiveness and he brought righteousness and he brought grace and you and I are invited to be a part of that. That's the last point we'll get to later. That is the story. Martin Lloyd Jones says there's always two stories going on in human history. Let me read this quote. There is the story of what I just said, the fallen, broken kingdom, and there's also the story of the Christian church and Christian people. There are people and have been people who are clearly different. Something has happened to them, they have undergone a great experience. They seem to be new creatures. They found a new joy and happiness. They claim to know God as their father, and they are being delivered from the tyranny of sin. What has happened to them? It is all because of what Christ has done and their relationship or their union to him. That is the whole history of humanity, past, present, and future. Understand Adam and what he did, and in a sense, you will begin to understand Christ and what he did. So here's point two. Christ came, and he offers us a better kingdom, and he offers us a better king, a better king. Now, I've talked about this a little bit. Do you know what kings come to do? They come to rule over us, don't they? But that's not all they do. They also come to represent us. They also come to represent us. Uh, Christ's person and his mission has often been characterized by theologians and historians as like this. Jesus is our prophet, our Priest and our king, right? He's our prophet because we're ignorant and we need somebody to tell us the word of God. He's our priest because we're sinful and we need somebody to come and cover us, atone for us. He's our king because we're rebellious and we need somebody to bring order and rule over us. But that's not the entire, entire scope of it. He's also our king because we were made to have a head. We were made to be represented. We were, we were made to have a ruler over us that, that stands in the gap and that we're united to, and whose actions impact us. That has always been the way that God has worked with humanity. And you and you see that. You see that even in, you see it in the history of the Old Testament. Here's David, and, and listen. By the way, I'm getting ahead of myself. When we are left on our own to choose who will represent us, we never do a good job of that, do we? We never do a good job. Now, this is not some political statement. It doesn't matter what president you elect; they're going to be fallen and. They're going to have good traits and bad traits, but I'm going back even further than that. Think of the first king that Israel wanted. Now, of course, God chose Saul, but God was just going with the fallen sinful choices of his nation. He told Samuel, give them the king that they want. I'll show you who it is. So he let them choose this strapping guy, tall, head and shoulders above everybody else. He had power. He had strength. He had good pedigree. came from a good family. Surely he will deliver us, right? And what did Saul do? Well, he killed, he killed a lot of people in Israel, didn't he? He caused them to be overran by the Philistines. He was supposed to deliver them. He caused them to be enslaved even more deeply. You remember that? And it's interesting to me that when God says, Now, my turn to choose, who did God choose? Somebody unimpressive, somebody young, just straight out of the sheep pasture, right? He chose David. And God wanted to show us what representation looks like. Do you remember this story in 1 Samuel 17? The story of David and Goliath, and here's what really rubs me raw. When you hear people, especially children's teachers, teaching this, and they say, we're all just like David, except we're not at all (laughs) like David. We're like either the Philistines taunting Israel, or we're like the cowering Israelites with their sandals shaken together in the background, wanting somebody to deliver us. God wanted to show them, look, I'm going to choose your head now. I'm going to choose the king, and he's going to be much better than your choice. So here's David, he walks out into this valley where there's this giant named Goliath. The narrative is long, this giant's just, uh, he's, he's grotesque, he's metal is hanging off of him, he's a monster, and he's been taunting Israel, telling them lies for 40 days, and they've been listening to him. And David shows up, he's not even a soldier, he's there to bring meat and cheese to his brothers, right? He's like, who's this uncircumcised pagan taunting Israel? He goes, somebody take his head off. And they're like, David, you don't understand. He says, no, you don't understand. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll represent all of Israel. Isn't that interesting? And they try to put armor on He says, I don't need that. I haven't tested it. I'll just trust in the things I've always trusted in. And here's David, and he's called the champion. In Hebrew, that means the man between the two. Here's David, Israel's champion. He stands between them and death. He represents them, so to speak. This is a major battle. Whatever happens with these two guys out here is going to affect everyone else. In fact, that's the reason that Goliath had this agreement. He said, look, we don't all have to fight. Send out your best. Send out your champion. And whatever happens to us, either you'll be enslaved and serve us, or we'll be enslaved and serve you. And so David, you know, he goes out, nothing but just naked faith. And he destroys, he stares death in the face and destroys it. And all of Israel share and participate in his victory when, in fact, they did not lift one finger to accomplish it. Sound familiar? (laughs) What do you think that story is actually about? You being brave and courageous? I don't think so. It's about the greater David that will come and deliver us from a greater enemy. Death and corruption and guilt and shame and fear. In fact, you don't even have to go to the Bible for this. You can see it in stories. Stories. You can see this in stories. You know, uh, any Star Wars fans in here? You know, George Lucas, two of you? Man, all right. Uh, (laughs) You know, George Lucas wrote that, and he said, really, episodes four, five, and six are all about the story of two Skywalkers, a tale of two Skywalkers. The first Skywalker, Anakin, who was tempted by the evil dark force, and he gave in. He didn't resist. He gave in, and he brought... End of the galaxy, death and destruction, right? And there's the second Skywalker, Luke, who redeemed the first Skywalker and undid everything he did. Where do you think George Lucas got that idea? I don't know. We have any Lord of the Rings fans in here. All right, there we go. That's better. Okay, good. See, I knew Star Wars wouldn't work. That's why I got, you, I got your back here. So do you guys remember, uh, in the book it's really long and complex conversation, but in the movies, in the movies there's this conversation between Gandalf and Elrond, like the elf lord. And he says, look, there, there's, there's this ring that's enticing, and it's seductive, and it's powerful, and it's dangerous. It's going to draw the enemy. All the orcs are going to come uh, from Mordor, and they're going to be looking for this. And look, this is the final age of the elves. We're leaving. So what are you going to do when we leave? Trust in the dwarves? That's what he says. And Gandalf, and Gandalf says, no, it is in men that we must place our hopes. Here, i got to find this. This is a really good dialogue. Uh, Gandalf says, no, it's in men that we, it's in men that we must place our hopes. And Elrond says, here's what he says, hang on, all right, here we go. So there's this really powerful and moving dialogue between them when he says men, trust in men, he says, Gandalf, I was there 3,000 years ago, that dude's aged well, I must say, by the way, anyway, (laughs) he says. He says, Gandalf, I was there 3,000 years ago when the strength of men failed. Do you remember that, Aaron? Woo-hoo. And, he, and it flashes back into a time when King Isildur, Isildur, thank you. Who said that? Oh, my word. Come talk to me afterwards, man. <laughs> you were just waiting for the chance. You knew I was going to mispronounce it. When, uh, when that king, yeah, when he cut the, when he cut the ring... Uh, off Sauron's finger and he finally he has this source of all this evil and he is going to be able to take it to Mount Doom and throw it into the fires and destroy it forever and so they go there him and Elrond they go on their track and Elrond says cast it into the fire destroy it and you remember that scene he looks at it and he says no he failed this king is Sildur right this king fails his moment of truth he's representing all of Middle-earth and what does he do he fails the temptation, and that's exactly what Adam did. Adam was the first human being. He was also the first king, and as the first king and first human, he was to exercise dominion over all the earth. He had a task to do. He hadn't, God appointed him with a task and with responsibility. You remember what it was? Fill the earth, subdue it, multiply, keep the garden, Adam. You're in charge. You, you represent this, this globe. You, you represent me. You're supposed to show the whole world what I'm like. And what did Adam do? How long did it take him? Two chapters? Epic failure, man. He tanked and he plunged all the world into sin and into darkness. Well, you know what Adam should have done when he was at that tree? He should have crushed the head of that serpent right then and there. And said, how dare you? How dare you question and impugn the motives of our Creator? His word is true. That's our guide. But he didn't. He listened to the seductive lies that that serpent whispered into his ear and he chose good and evil on his terms not God's and he plunged all the world into darkness and that's what this entire passage is about look at it he says in verse 15 but the free gift is not like the trespass what was the trespass it was Adam and Eve disobeying God eating the forbidden fruit for if many died through one man's trespass Much more had the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Verse 16, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Christ Jesus. And then verse 18 sums it all up. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, the many will be made righteous. Now, Here's what Paul's doing. He's saying, here's Adam, here's what he did, here's how it impacted you. Sad story. Brokenness, fallenness, sin, guilt, condemnation. Here's the second Adam. Here's a better king. Here's what he did, and here's here's the similarities to Adam, because they're both kings. They both represent a whole race of people, and, and their action impacts us. Those are the similarities, and here are the differences. What Adam did brought death and condemnation. What Jesus did brought righteousness and grace and justification. Do you, see what, do you see what he's doing here? He's saying, and I mentioned this last time I preached on this, he's saying, be careful saying that's not fair. We weren't there. We didn't do it. We didn't elect Adam. God did. Be careful with that kind of language because if Adam can't represent you, then neither can Jesus, and you need him to. You desperately need Jesus, listen, to represent you. You desperately need the act of obedience that Jesus accomplished to represent you and to be united with him. If you don't, you have no hope at all. None. Zero. In fact, and Lord, help this to be clear. Most people think that Jesus only came to die so that your sins could be forgiven. Jesus came to die, and that's true in a sense. He came to go to that cross, right? But that's not all that Jesus came to do. Jesus also came to live a righteous life. Do you see this in verse 10? Check this out. Verse 10 is the key to understanding the rest of this passage. It says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. What saved you about Jesus? What was it that Jesus did that's your salvation? Was it just his death on the cross? What else was it? Perfect righteousness. Listen, every breath Jesus Christ ever took was a worshipful breath. Every place his eyes ever went to look and glance was pure and holy and innocent and blameless and without guile. Everything that he ever said was necessary and was edifying. Even if it was calling out the Pharisees, a brood of vipers, everything that he did, every place that he went, everything that he said was perfect and righteous unlike us, right? Jesus was, you could say, accruing for us righteousness. This is uh, what theologians call there was there was the passive obedience of Christ where he went to the cross and he died. He was obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. But there's also what's called the active obedience of Jesus and that's his perfect life. As a ch- Jesus had a perfect childhood. He had a perfect adulthood. Everything that he did and said and think was perfect and righteous And he represented you and I when he did that. We get that righteousness. When it says in in verse 18 here, the one act of righteousness, uh, that's like a comprehensive term. It's not that there's just one thing that Jesus did that's righteous. It's everything comprehensively that Jesus did. It's like this package deal, okay? This package of righteousness that you and I were not able to secure for ourselves. It's a free gift. Anybody need it? Anybody willing to unwrap that bloody rag and see, you need this? You need this, and no other king can offer this to you. Only one. He offers you a better kingdom. He offers you a better king, Christ Jesus. His one act of righteousness, his perfect life, his active and his passive obedience is offered to you. What do you have to do to earn it? That's a trick question. You can't earn it, can you? You can only receive it. What do you do with a gift? You receive it. You take it. That honors Jesus when you take gift. You know what doesn't honor Jesus? You know what insults Jesus? When you say, no thanks, I'm good, I got this. <laughs> See, a lot of people think that, you know what, neither of those men represent me. Adam doesn't represent me, and neither does Jesus. I, you're like Charles Manson. He said that. He said, I represent myself in court. And he got the, you know, he got the death penalty and died in prison, we talked about last time. But most people say, "I don't want either of those." Well, then you're making the exact same decision that Adam did. Actually, <laughs> me, 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 me. It's all about me. That's the third point. Really, is that we are invited to persist, participate in this kingdom. Every single person in this room and watching from home right now, you are. This is this blows my mind. We are all in one kingdom or the other, either the one that we're united to through Adam. Or the one that we are united to through Jesus Christ and His perfect act of righteousness. There's no in between. There's no gray area. I don't want to make it obscure. I want to make it crystal clear. All of us are either in one kingdom or the other. And if we say I don't want to be represented, then you've, you've made your choice. That's you're in Adam's kingdom. You were born in Adam's kingdom. His kingdom was one of choosing your own way, going your own way, transgressing, stepping over the bounds, missing the mark. That's Adam's kingdom. That's his gift to you. It's a terrible Christmas gift, isn't it? You rece- you don't do anything to receive it. You're in that kingdom. You're united. You don't want to be in that kingdom. You want to be out. I was watching uh this show with my kids the other day. It's called Life Below Zero. It's a National Geographic. It's astonishing. I love it. It's about Alaska, and there's apparently there's a there's this Arctic Circle that goes around the top of the top of the globe. And anything above that Arctic Circle, man, that's like you don't want to be. You don't want to live there. <laughs> I mean, you can if you want to, it ain't gonna be easy, it's below zero there. One guy, uh, my son Jackson really likes this guy, he lives 62 miles north of the Arctic Circle where it's like 30, 40, 50 degrees below zero. And there's these camera crews for this show, they have to do it, they go up there and they live with him for like weeks on end and they're following him around and there's like months in the winter, there's no daylight there. You know that about Alaska, right, it's dark all the time and they're interviewing him And I'm starting to hear this guy, I'm starting to hear themes, and he says, he says, uh, I do what I want up here. I eat when I want to eat, I sleep when I want to sleep, I work when I want to work, I don't have to answer to anybody but myself. And then he says at another time, he says, this is actually my church. And I was reading about this guy, he's like 29 years old, and eventually he opted out of being on the show, do you know Why? He said, I don't want those camera crews up here telling me what to do. (laughs) Because they will, you know. If you get thousands of dollars for being in a miniseries documentary, they're going to tell you what to do and interview you and make you say things you don't want to say. But I thought, you know, I'm not dogging. I love the show, and I get it. I mean, some people would move that far so that nobody tells them what to do. They're on their own, right? I get it. I get it. It's peaceful. It's really cold, but it's worth it. But aren't we really all just a little bit like that? This is my kingdom. I don't answer to anybody. I will live life on my terms. I'll do what I want to do, when I want to do, why I want to do. Well, you're in Adam's kingdom. Are you enjoying it? (laughs) How's life on your terms working out for you? How's that going for you? Because, man, God sometimes has to break us and show us you're in a broken kingdom, and you're represented by a broken king. And God is standing here saying, don't you want to trade? Don't you want this kingdom? Don't you want this king to represent you? He has. All you have to do is receive it. Paul will say that a little bit later in Romans 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's another way of saying I want this king to represent me. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, you will be rescued, you'll be delivered from this sin and condemnation and guilt and shame and fear and death. And I love that about this passage. It puts these two kings up next to each other and says, which one do you want to represent you? Can I ask you a question? Do you know how irrational and unreasonable sin is? Why wouldn't you want Jesus to represent you? Look what he did for you. He offers you peace, forgiveness, joy that is unassailable, eternal life. He's going to restore and fix and undo all that the curse has done in this planet. He invites you. It's really interesting. I'll share this with my wife. Look at verse 17 here. If you've got a Bible, look at this. Because you won't believe this unless you're looking at it. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned. Okay, death reigns in this kingdom through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. Did you catch that? In this, in this fallen, broken kingdom that's under a curse... Death reigns, and in this kingdom over here, ushered in by the new king, what would you think he would say reigns? Death reigns over here, what reigns over here? Life, that's not what he says though. Check this out church, you know what he says? We reign. You like that? That sounds, it almost sounds cultic and heretical if it wasn't in the Bible. But it says it everywhere else in Romans. We will reign with him. We will be heirs and joint heirs with Christ. How you like that deal you always wanted to be a king and jesus is offering you this you will reign with him as a joint heir so it's not like you're giving up autonomy in some sense you're getting the right kind that adam had you're getting it restored and then some you're getting righteousness that you actually can't ever lose see adam was on probation jesus says god had an arrangement and understanding with adam rc Sproul said it this way he said i believe in justification by faith alone with all my heart He said, and at the same time, you have to know this. You are saved by somebody's works. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. But listen, you're also saved by somebody's works. Whose works are you trusting in to save you? That's the question. Yours? Adam's? Or the work of Christ, the finished work? Jesus comes, and he does what Adam could never do. And that's what, really, Paul is comparing and contrasting here. There's this beautiful comparison If you read this passage and you think of Adam, Adam was in a garden, right? And he was faced with a choice and he failed. Jesus was in a garden. He was faced with a choice. He succeeded, right? Praise God. Adam brought all of humanity, all the human race. He plunged them into sin because of this decision he made about a tree, right? And Jesus offered to deliver all of that humanity out of sin because of a decision he made about a tree, to be hung on a tree, to be cursed. Cursed is the man who hangs on this tree. These, these, these parallels are, are nearly, nearly endless. Listen to this. The first Adam died as a sinner. The last Adam died for sinners. The first Adam lost the tree of life. The last Adam is the tree of life. The first Adam was created in God's image. The last Adam is God's image. The first Adam was seeking a wife. The last Adam is seeking a wife. You know who the bride of the last Adam is? Woo, that's right. We're the bride of Christ. And we're pure and spotless and righteous because of his finished work. A few more here, just for kicks, okay? And then we'll close. The first Adam turned from the Father in the Garden of Eden. The last Adam turned to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. The first Adam was naked naked. And unashamed in the garden, the last Adam was naked and bore our shame on the cross. The first Adam sinned at a tree. The last Adam bore our sins on a tree. Do you see this? This is a Christmas passage, my friends, because this is the free gift that Jesus Christ, as our last and final king who has arrived, is offering to you and to me, to all of us. We will be represented either by the fallen acts of Adam... The sinful acts of Adam are the righteous acts of Jesus. All of us are in one kingdom at any given time. Which kingdom are you in? Which kingdom are you a part of? Have you prepared room in your heart for King Jesus? Have you believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is King? He's Lord? I want to be, yes, Lord. Yes, King Jesus. I want to be in your kingdom. Take me out of this kingdom. Deliver me free me i'm in bondage i am enslaved here and i want to be released i want to be liberated and jesus offers you that have you accepted him on his terms on his terms the little kingdoms we create are like life rafts aren't they we call the shots we're on our own but they're sinking we don't have to report to a captain king jesus comes and he offers you a better kingdom, a better king, and he invites you to participate. Have you? Will you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for these truths that we are celebrating at Christmas. Thank you that you, by the one act of righteousness, you have brought life, eternal life. You have brought forgiveness. You have brought reconciliation. You have brought joy and light and peace and stability as opposed to what Adam did with his one act of disobedience. Lord, thank you that you invite us to be a part of that. You want us to be united to you. And we're going to learn later in chapter six all that it means to be united to the one man, Jesus Christ. All the benefits, all the privileges, all the freedoms of being a part of his kingdom, being united to him as a king. Lord, open our hearts, open our eyes to see that we've been doing kingdom life our way. We have been trying to play the role of the king, and we're just Right back where Adam was, choosing good and evil on our terms, not yours. I pray we would surrender today. We would celebrate in new and fresh ways this righteous and perfect king who comes and he conquers death. Death reigned, Lord, and yet you came and you conquered death. You hold the keys to death and hell. Keys mean ownership. They mean access. They they mean control. They mean authority. You stared death in the face. You walked right into the jaws of death. That's where your obedience took you. That's where a perfect, righteous life took you, Lord. Thank you for, for conquering death on our behalf, for delivering us from the effects and the guilt and the condemnation of sin. I pray that we would receive that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're gonna have our song of reflection now, and I wanna invite you to just ponder what you heard. Receive Jesus Christ, your King. Don't leave this place without being in his kingdom. We have a team of people who would love to pray with you, would love to meet you, love to answer your questions, or you can just sit quietly in your seat and reflect, and then we're going to have some announcements, and we'll be dismissed. And I want to remind you, I know that Christmas is on a Saturday this year, and so Sunday falls on the day after Christmas, but we're going to have a service, as we always do on Christmas, and it's going to be, we'll have that in the announcements here in a minute. It's We're not going to have a K through fifth grade in the back. It's going to be a family service inside, not outside. it would be a shorter service. And we want to invite all of you uh, to come after your Christmas day is over. You can come and continue the celebration here with us next week. But right now, we're going to reflect, we're going to pray, and our prayer team is waiting on you in the back.
2: taught my heart to fear, in grace my fears relieved, how precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. amazing grace the Lord has promised good to me his word my hope secures he will my shield enforce As long as life endures my chains are gone, so I've been set free. My God, my savior has ransomed me in thy conford your mercy. Rains in love amazing grace the earth shall soon dissolve like snow the sun forbids But God, me here below will be forever. God, we just praise you for just being our king, Father, for representing us. That is not on our own works that we are able to come to you, Father. And we just praise you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: I was going to pull an audible and I was looking for Matt to see. Where is he? Maybe he can do the announcements, because I'm, I'm about to cry. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know what? Look, he's not sitting there, so that just shows me. The Lord must just want me to cry in front of everybody, <laughs> right? But maybe, I was just thinking, that song made me think, maybe it's a hard season for you. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Cling to the hope. You have to keep telling yourself the gospel over and over and over again. And let your emotions catch up to the truth. So I don't know if that's, maybe that's just for me today. I lost my dad in August. But maybe it's for you. Keep clinging to Christ. But you know what's cool? He's the one clinging to you. Okay? We have some announcements. But I feel like we've had jerks. Let's just go home. Let's just go home. Uh, the giving tree it's not too late if you forgot your gifts bring them next week and and truth be known it's it's never too late even if you brought something you know on any given Sunday and give it to me I'll make sure they get it at the school okay so um, bring shampoo conditioner anything uh, any personal hygiene items are great um, I noticed that somebody brought granola bars and, and stuff like that awesome that wasn't on the list but guess what uh, these kids need to eat right if you had teenagers you know how much a teenagers eat so whatever um, is in your heart to bring that would be awesome all right family style worship Tommy hit on that uh, next Sunday we'll have our elementary kids in here uh, with us it'll be awesome so come next week and then we should have just one more yeah community groups they're on break right now it doesn't mean that you can't sign up uh, for a group. You can continue to, to sign up and then we'll um, start back up the week um, of the first week of the year. It's January 2nd, we'll, we'll start those groups again. All right, will you guys stand with me? Let's say our charge together. Share, oh, you know what? Here's one more thing. Some of you in here don't have a gift for somebody who has everything. If that's the case and you need a little help, in the lobby we, have, um, we still have some books, the Gentle and Lowly, Lowly Books by Dane Ortland. Get one of those. Share the gospel with someone who, who thinks, you know, or you think has everything. Uh, that would be a, a great idea. So uh, those are in, on the shelf in the, in the lobby. All right, ready? I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. Merry Christmas. We love you.